0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. The back and forth between the United States and North Korea, more specifically the leaders of the two nations, took an unusual turn recently. President Kim Jong-un talked about having the nuclear button on his desk. President Trump responded by saying his button was bigger and more effective. And the question of whether Trump is inciting Kim is a hot-button topic now in the moment. Joining us to discuss this is uh, Richard Dasher, who's director of the U.S.-Asia Technology Management Center at uh, at Stanford University. Richard, great to have you with us today. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me on, Dan. All, all the best. Always great to have you with us. Also uh, joining us uh, on the show right now uh, is Sun-Yung Lee, who is a professor in Korean studies and assistant professor at the Fletcher School at Tufts University. Uh, Sun-Yung, great to have you back with us today. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And uh, Jacques Delille of the University of Pennsylvania will be joining us in just a minute. Uh, Richard, your reaction to all of this latest rhetoric?
0: Well, it's a little bit like uh, watching Good Cop, Bad Cop. The uh, U.S. and North Korea have been trading, uh, you know, very kind of bellicose uh, statements with each other. And what happened in South Korea is that in the New Year's statement by Kim Jong-un, where he talked about having the button on his desk. He also said that he would be willing to uh, even send a, a team to the South Korean Olympics, and yep. he wished the South Koreans well with the uh, Olympics, Winter Olympics that are coming up next month. And the South Koreans took him up on the uh, offer, and so they proposed having talks with him. And so to the U.S., we still have this kind of very, you know, warmongering sort of attitude going on, and to the South Koreans, he's holding out what looks like an olive branch. And, of course, people are thinking that this is trying to drive a wedge between the U.S. and South Korea, which has its own kind of... uh, We have some problems in that relationship. Specifically, uh, the U.S. is very critical of South Korea uh, trade and is trying to uh, get the South Koreans to pay more for the U.S. military bases that are there. Sun Well, the time
2: is ideal for Kim Jong-un to strike a quasi-conciliatory pose and to reach out to the South because South Korea has been eager to engage the North and with a banner ballistic missile year under his belt, Kim can afford to come down a rung or two on the ladder of escalation and offer to send athletes and probably, I'm almost certain, cheerleaders to South Korea. In the past, when North Korea did just that, sending, we're not talking about a dozen or 20 cheerleaders, 200, 300 cheerleaders, that changed the atmospherics from one of crisis to a land of reconciliation and peace. If you imagine North Korean female cheerleaders clapping and dancing in sync, supporting, (laughs) rooting on South Korean athletes and perish the thought, even American athletes competing against third country contestants, that would create a lot of excitement. It would do wonders for North Korea's image makeover, and it would give wind to South Korea's demand, and also supported by China and Russia, that the United States De escalate, make more concessions to North Korea, namely relax sanctions, suspend or completely do away with the annual decades old joint military exercises with the South, and perhaps even move on to normalize diplomatic relations with North Korea. So, you know, this is a very rational, calculating move by Kim Jong un. It does not signal a genuine interest in denuclearization or reform.
1: Jacques Delisle joining us. Jacques, welcome. And uh, what is your reaction to all of this? The rhetoric back and forth between the two leaders, but also the, the, the potential of talks coming up in the next few days.
3: Well, I wouldn't get... I would share with my colleagues on this panel the sense that I would not get too excited about these talks. I think it is a strategic move by Kim, taking advantage of both Moon's desire to open a dialogue with the North and of the difficulties in South Korea's relationship with the U.S., which has been exacerbated by the latest Trump tweets. I mean, there's a school of thought out there that gives Trump some credit for being part of increasing the international pressure on North Korea, but I think it's come bundled with a lot of things that are quite risky and and quite destabilizing. Uh, And in some sense, this is a reflection of South Korea's perception of its own weakness in its relations with the North, with the U.S., with China, and with japan so it's it's not a great situation and again we've we've been down this road before of uh, of reopening talks and of using sport as a uh, means for legitimating North Korea and for opening channels, and ultimately it has not really come to a whole lot.
1: But uh, Sun it it's interesting uh, when you talk about the fact that obviously part of this involves the Olympic Games coming up in South Korea. Uh, you mentioned Russia, and it's also uh, an Olympic Games where Russia will not be a part of it because of the issues that they have. So to a degree, it, it if we were to go down this path, it would almost open up uh, North Korea in a better light than, than Russia at this point
2: that's right and when South Korea hosted the summer Olympiad in 1988 the Soviet Union and all the Soviet bloc countries except for a few attended and that created a lot of excitement and the games were a success for South Korea politically economically the winter Olympiad now coming up in one month not so much there's really been no real interest even in South Korea tickets are available uh, a plenty still but if North Korea sends athletes and really jazzes up the event, then it's good business for everyone for South Korea. If North Korea sends athletes, even Xi Jinping and Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe may seriously consider attending the opening ceremony so as not to fall behind others. And it would you know, drive up the ratings. It would be yeah. a wonderful, spectacular, dramatic event how does that work in North Korea's favor again i think it really changes north korea's image kim would come across more as the aggrieved party just trying to survive in the face of total destruction by the president of the united states and the more mr trump comes across as the aggressor as the threatening bellicose individual and uh, a man you know motivated by machismo perhaps even megalomania then North Korea comes across as more sympathetic, and the unreasonable demands, in my view, by the North that South Korea and the U.S. make unilateral concessions and relax sanctions Mm -hmm. prematurely will sound all the more credible. Richard?
0: I think that there's a real sense of deja vu about this. In the 1990s, the North had made a promise to give up its nuclear weapons program and After about six or seven years, and remember this is during the Clinton administration uh, in the U.S., uh, in South Korea, Kim Dae-jung took office, and I don't want to compare him too closely to the current uh, president of of South Korea, Moon Jae-in, but he was more open, and he created the sunshine policy to engage the North. And it was two or three years after that when they started to have tourist visits up to the north, and they opened this Kaesong Industrial Complex where South Korean companies could uh, build factories up in the north and use, take advantage of very cheap North Korean labor. Um, two or three years after that, uh, Kim Jong-il, the uh, president of North Korea then, mentioned that, oh yeah, we're still doing our nuclear weapons program because we don't lo- like what George W. Bush is doing. So you see this kind of uh, attempt to make the U.S. look like the aggressor, and the attempt at the same time to uh, drive a wedge between the U.S. and the Allies. This is this is not new. It's a manipulative behavior on the part of uh, Kim Jong-un that is certainly aimed at image building, and it's also, I think, aimed at trying to keep people off of their balance so that they really never know exactly what he's up to. They don't really understand what his ultimate motive is, what kind of threat they really are.
1: Well, Jacques, you are in Beijing right now, and and I guess China has obviously been a a component to this whole process in, in the last several months. Where is China on all of this right now?
3: I think they're concerned and frustrated. I, China has not been terribly keen on uh, Trump trying to outsource solving the Korea problem to China. Uh, China itself is frustrated with uh, Kim Jong Un in a way it has not been with his uh, with his predecessors. There's a sense that he's a difficult and embarrassing ally, uh, and, and it's just, China's only formal defense treaty ally is North Korea. So there's a lot of frustration here. There's a lot of a sense of unpredictability and a uh, belief that Beijing's ability to influence North Korea is less than it has been in the past and it's always been limited. So it's caught between the limitations on its own uh, ability to manage this just situation and the expectations or demands from the U.S. that it in fact handle the situation. Uh, that's causing consternation. Um, and one of the reasons that China has gotten somewhat More willing to implement some of the UN sanctions and the UN sanctions of course have gotten tougher in recent months one of the reasons China's gotten better although not perfect on that is the sense that this is getting to be a very volatile and dangerous situation but much of what is driving it is the Chinese sense that, that Trump seems to be much more seriously than his predecessors contemplating the possibility of a military option which is just really bad news so while China would like to see the same outcome of the US that is a denuclearized Korean Peninsula Uh, China certainly does not want to see war break out on the peninsula, and there is, I would say, not a super high level of concern, but a sense, in my view, quite accurate, that we are closer to that scenario than we have been in the past, and that's just a mess for everybody, most especially South Korea.
1: We are talking about the latest involving North Korea. We are joined on the phone by Jacques Delil of the University of Pennsylvania, Seung Yun Lee of uh, Tufts University, Richard Dasher of Stanford University. Your comments are welcome if you like at 844 Wharton 844 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at bizradio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Sung-Yeon, I'd be interested to get your... The latest that you know on kind of the status of things going on in North Korea, we've seen a variety of stories about uh, you know whether or not the people are, are, are struggling uh, in terms of food and and uh, different uh, really staples uh, in there. There have also been conversations of whether or not countries are, are kind of in the back door supplying oil to North Korea at this point. What is the status of, of the North Korean economy right now?
2: U.S. sanctions and U.N. sanctions against North Korea have been tough and meaningfully enforced for less than one year. It takes a lot of time and effort to enforce sanctions, of course, and it takes, that means, some time, two to three years for sanctions to bear effect. I don't believe that the pinch Kim Jong-un may be feeling from the enforcement of tough sanctions in recent months, is an existential crisis for Kim I believe that this softer gesture by Kim was preordained it was all very calculated because we have seen this pattern play out in the past North Korea comes across as crazy and belligerent all the time but they also know when to take a small step back and dangle an olive branch in the face of their neighbors so the timing is right to do this and It also shows that Kim is ruthlessly, doggedly bent on becoming a credible nuclear threat to the United States as the people are hungry, according to various UN agencies like World uh, Food Program, Food and Agriculture Organization, various annual surveys. Upwards of 80% of North Koreans are hungry. They're not getting enough food to eat. So that shows you how military power, what that means to the North Korean regime, that needs to compete with a far more successful, freer, richer, more attractive Korean state across the border. And the fact that, for Kim, one day harboring the dream of prevailing over the South is not just a daydream or a perversion or a lifestyle choice but a compelling existential need. And the way to get there is really to drive a wedge between the U.S. and South Korea and get the U.S. out of fear, nuclear attack, to downgrade its alliance with the South.
1: But again, again, Richard, to to get to that point, uh, the, the current U.S. government has made it well known that anything short of a denuclearization is not going to fly for them right now.
0: That's right. And that will be a very difficult aim to achieve. I don't see North Korea giving up its uh, nuclear weapons program for just about any reason. I think one further factor to look at this, besides what Sung Young has mentioned, is that Kim Jong-un still has to prove himself as a very young leader. He's only 33 or 34 years old. And he's getting into one of the strangest governments in the world uh, that has combined hardcore communist socialism, centrally planned economies with a personality cult. So he has to do things that look like he's on a level with his father and his grandfather, who were the leaders of North Korea before him. And I think that having the nuclear weapons program is sort of his contribution to what they see is, as north korea the sanctions have also revealed or what's playing out with the sanctions are also revealing another strange aspect of the north korean economy and that's a large unofficial economy that is parallel to the the sort of regular national economy uh... in which people are doing business on the side in north korea and it's essential to income in north korea some of them have done really well with uh... areas and a lot of them are illicit they're selling drugs they're counterfeiting money they're selling missile parts in the middle east they're um, engaged in insurance scams and this kind of activity is really hard to for a country to control um, in october there was this incident of a hong kong flagged uh... oil carrier transferring some of its cargo to a north korean ship uh... the ship was supposed to be going from japan to taiwan and in fact the cargo was bought by several other companies while it was on the way and somebody in this process sold off about ten percent of its fuel maybe less than ten percent five percent of its fuel to uh... of the fuel it was carrying refined petroleum to a north korean vessel whether this was officially sanctioned by any of the governments involved probably not But you're seeing, basically, people who are trying to make a little bit of money here and there. Yeah. And they're getting around it.
1: 844 Wharton is the number for you to join in. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I I guess, Jacques, uh, really from the North Korean perspective here, Kim Jong-un sees his military, or I should say his nuclear program, as really his ace in the hole. And he is not willing to give that up almost under any circumstances because of the fact that he believes that uh, that whether it be the United States or some other entity, that his country at some point could be the, uh, the, the target of an attack.
3: Right. I think it's more than an ace in the hole. And uh, the primary concern is, of course, the United States. I mean, it really is, I think, in Kim's mind, a matter of, personal survival, regime survival, and ultimately uh, the North Korea, you know, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea's survival as an independent entity. Uh, I mean, North Korea is, of course, quite an opaque uh, place, but the lesson that they seem to have drawn from U.S. foreign policy in recent years is that if you give up your nuclear weapons program, you're in big trouble. Uh, so the lesson of Gaddafi is if you give up your weapons program, you're vulnerable to being ousted by the United States. And the lesson of Trump's approach to the Iran nuclear deal is that if you agree to limit uh, progress toward a nuclear weapons program, uh, you may not get the benefit of your bargain because the U.S. may, and the Iranians may renege on it. And I think that's the lesson that's been learned by Kim. But I think that aside, uh, we're just in a situation where it really is seen as an existential uh, issue not to give up the weapons. And we now have is yeah. this disconnect between North Korea being quite unwilling to do that and you know, to accept that as a fact about the world doesn't require a formal recognition of North Korea as a for the fact that it's going to be extremely hard to change and and impossible to change without really great risk. And so the real question is, how does the U.S. approach that? And there, the Trump administration has been, frankly, all over the map. Everything from we can engage in talks without preconditions up to until North Korea agrees to give up its nuclear weapons, there is no point in talking. And that message from Trump and Haley and Tillerson and Mattis Master, I mean, it's really been all over the And Trump himself has been all over the map. And you add to that the question about what the US will do to try to force a solution, how much it will depend on UN sanctions, how much it will seek to go further and how seriously it's considering a military option. And you have a very volatile situation. And that's what's got people worried in Beijing, Seoul and many other places.
1: 844 Wharton is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866. Or if you like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So, Sun-Yung, what, what is the path, then, uh, of of finding some resolution to uh, kind of you know keep North Korea under control but do it at a way where other countries, either in that region or around the globe— uh, feel more comfortable about uh, about Kim Jong-un as a leader of a country?
2: Well, the United States and South Korea have been sort of conditioned to live with a threatening North Korea. North Korea has launched limited but at times lethal attacks on Americans in South Korea and South Koreans numerous times over the past several decades, and at no time has there been a military response by the US or by South Korea. And that's because North Korea, even before going nuclear, now more than a decade ago, was able to deter the mighty United States thanks to the geographical proximity between the North and the capital city of South Korea and North Korea's very big standing army and artillery capability. So what does North Korea seek then? Well, you know, this softer gesture is to be welcomed, certainly. But in the past, Pyongyang's peace offensive has, on occasion, on numerous occasions, I should say, they've been a prelude to a provocation. So I think more serious tests and controlled attacks will come sooner than later. In two days, Kim Jong-un turns 34. And two years ago, in 2016, two days shy of his birthday, North Korea conducted a nuclear test, whereas Kim, a few days before that, on his uh, on January 1st, during his New Year's address that year, spoke of reaching out to South Korea, reconciliation, and all those good things. The question here is, if Kim Jong-un Kim Jong conducts an ICBM test or a nuclear test in the coming days or weeks, will that... Mean, will that render this brief thaw in inter Korean relations uh, null and void? I don't think so. I think, you know, Kim Jong un's softer approach is a good insurance policy right. to deter any kind of aggressive, forceful, forceful response by the U.S. or South Korea in the wake of the next big provocation, which needs to come, which Kim needs to do anyway.
0: Richard? So I think that we certainly do not want to uh, give up our military preparedness, especially our close cooperation with the South Korean military. We need to have that, but we have to tone down the rhetoric, and we should just kind of you have to be prepared to deal with these people. But for one thing, we have to realize that the threat is not just nuclear weapons. Uh, The same kind of missile could be used to deliver a biological agent or a chemical weapon. That would be just as much a weapon of mass destruction. So we really have to be vigilant, but we also have to, I think, assure the rest of the world that we are not uh, looking for war.
1: Gentlemen, thank you all for joining me today. Greatly appreciate your time. Thanks, Dan. Thank you.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.